Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We, you and I, have a problem with authority. Daniel Schreiner, a pastor from Portland, received this piece of marketing information from a local fitness gym. It was entitled, The Year of You. It began, the new year is right around the corner, and you're either going to own it, or it's going to own you. It's 100% your choice. It's in your hands. That's the first thing. Next, you take that feeling of empowerment, of invincibility, the feeling that you can run right through a wall, and you take action. You take action like you've never taken action before. You become prolific. You become consistent. You let no obstacle stand in the way. No more pity parties. No more whining about anything. You are in control. You. Well, I'm sorry. You or I can decide what to do on any given workout down at the local YMCA. But even there, we encounter limits and questions of authority. There are policies to be honored and finite resources to be respected. And once you walk out the door, there's an entire world that runs on the question, who's in charge? Who's in charge here anyway? In Solomon's portico, we see that question played out as the crowds rush to Peter and John and the unnamed man whom they have healed. You recall the story. It's the ninth hour, and Peter and John have entered the temple at the hour of prayer, and a lame man, literally from his mother's womb, is lying there. He sees them enter, and he begs for alms. They stop, and Peter commands him, Look at us! And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter has no silver or gold to give. But what he does have, he will give. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And it's a miracle. The man is running and jumping and leaping and praising God. Now for Bible readers, this is really nothing new. The Gospels are filled with Jesus' miracles. But to what end? Why does Jesus perform miracles? Well, the immediate answer is to relieve suffering of some kind. The leper, the lame, the lunatic are all restored to health. The hungry are fed. Even the grieving have their dead restored to them. But Jesus' miracles also demonstrate his divinity. He is the only begotten of the Father. And his presence signals the inbreaking of the reign of heaven into our world. The miracle of Acts chapter 3 has similar but different purposes. Like Jesus' miracle, it brings relief for suffering. It's really difficult for me, and I'm sure for you, to really imagine the lifelong condition of this man. Carried to the temple, day after day, week after week, year after year. What about hygiene and housing? And now he's healed! But the miracle is not to demonstrate the deity of Christ. He's not even there in person. Only two of his disciples and the crowd rush them and the man who clings to them. And then really the punchline of this text. What are you all looking at anyway? As if by our own power or our piety we've made him walk. It's not us. It's the name of Jesus. Recall the actual words of the miracle. 
In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then in verse 16, his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong. Beyond the relief of suffering, the point of this miracle is to demonstrate that Jesus' name continues to have authority over creation. The name we hear about, the name we learn to love in the Bible, the authority of Jesus' name is contained in that written word of God. But as I stated earlier, we have a problem with authority. He had just sharpened the penknife, which he held between his forefinger and thumb. It cut cleanly. With a deaf and practiced hand, he moved across the page, first down, then across, and then again. With a pair of tweezers, he picks up the little piece of paper off of the page and examines it. The edges are cut cleanly, well defining the text. He places it on the table where it joins others, some bigger, some smaller, all cut from the same book. He would paste them together in another book after he had sorted and rearranged them. When he was done, the original book was riddled with square and rectangular holes, windows in a wall of ink. The surgeon's name, Thomas Jefferson, and the book, the Bible. It was a question of authority. What Jefferson glued up, he called the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth, or more popularly, the Jefferson Bible. Gone was any reference to the miraculous. The Gospels end with Jesus in the tomb. True to the tenets of deism, this book reflects his own philosophical assumptions. But the book, The Life and Morals of Jesus, is also a parable about selectively reading the word, selectively believing in the authority of God and of his Christ. For some, like Jefferson, it's the miraculous that simply has to be dismissed. It's impossible. For others, it's the bloody sacrifices of the old covenant and the brutal conquest and dispossession of nations and lands. For some, it's lifestyle restrictions, questions of sexuality and marriage, the defining of man in the image of man. For others, it's the authority over our own bodies, questions of abortion and abuse and altered identity. For all of these, there is a powerful, corrective, gospel word in our text. Verse 13, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over. The servant prophesied by Isaiah, behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. You killed the author of life, Peter declares, whom God raised from the dead. And then verse 18, what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. All this according to the plan and the purpose of God. Again from Isaiah 53, God declares, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. You and I, you are rescued in Jesus' name by the authority of his name. And like I said, we have a problem with authority. 
the authority of Jesus' name. It's a pleasant afternoon, late September. The day is warm and clear. With attention to detail, a father and his son are busy in the backyard. The six-year-old holds upright a pole that is twice his height as dad lashes a couple of diagonals into place to hold it upright. They repeat the process until all four are in a square. And then the young man holds his ladder while dad climbs up and connects the lintels between the tops of the posts. A light canvas is fastened to the inside of the frame forming the walls and now the roof. This is the challenging part, to find enough leafy branches. Hopefully next week we'll be dry. A Jewish family preparing for the Feast of Booths? No, they call themselves Old Testament Christians. They will fulfill what God clearly commands to keep this festival. Exodus 34, Leviticus 23. It was, the Feast of Booths was celebrated also after the return from exile. Nehemiah 8 and Zechariah 14. They are living out the Old Testament ordinances. It's kind of an example from the edge. But it is reading Christ through the lens of the Old Testament. There are, however, other lenses, many of them more common to us. Liberation theology keys into the role of Israel's exodus from slavery and Jesus' aid to the oppressed. Millennialism twists a few key verses into an end times reality that mirrors first century Jewish myths. Dispensationalists find different paths to salvation over the course of history. And for many, the Bible is turned into a workbook for the moralistic, therapeutic deism of today. Again, there is a powerful corrective and gospel word in our text for this. Verse 20, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Literally, the hand-picked Messiah. He is the only lens through which to read and understand the Bible. He's the interpretive key to scripture. Notice Jesus' own word use of scripture in the gospel reading. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, Jesus declared, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. You are rescued because Jesus fulfilled them all. By the authority of his bloody death and resurrection, we are rescued from everlasting death as we prayed in our college. And yet we have a problem with authority, the authority of Jesus' name. It was the worst of times. Hitler's Germany and the Holocaust. They'd heard stories of what was happening. They considered themselves Christians, but they, they tried to distance themselves. After all, what could anyone do to stop it? A railroad track ran behind their small country church. Sunday morning, they could hear the whistle in the distance and then the wheels coming over the tracks. They became disturbed when they heard the cries coming from the train as it passed. They realized carrying Jews like cattle in the cars. Week after week, the whistle blew. They dreaded that sound. It carried the cries of those bound for the death camps. Their screams tormented them. They knew the time. And at the sound of the whistle, they began to sing hymns. By the time the train passed, they were singing at the top of their voices. One member recalls, I still hear that train whistle in my sleep. God forgive me 
forgive all of us. The problem of authority here has many different sides. Jesus' authority that rescued new now shapes your life. The obvious needs you encounter in the community. So we stuff backpacks with food and we write checks to cover rent and heat and lights. But it's more than just charity. Our lifestyle is challenged by the authority of Jesus' name. The cross dictates a response to temptation. Not cheap grace, but grace-filled living. The open tomb becomes the lens through which we see our daily life, not just our Sunday celebration. And yes, there's a powerful, corrective, and at first, confessional word in our text. Verse 19a, repent, therefore, and turn around. You turn on your bulletin cover. And then that wonderful purpose clause, a gospel clause, that your sins may be blotted out. It's not a common word in the Bible. It means to wipe away, leaving no trace whatsoever. You are rescued in Jesus' blood that wipes away every sin that you may live to him. It's a question of authority. And yes, we have a problem with authority. But the authority of Jesus' name would have us read the whole counsel of God, not just what satisfies our foibles and fancies. The authority of Jesus' name becomes the lens through which we read and learn the word given to us. He interprets the things written about himself in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms. And the authority of Jesus' name empowers us to live out that authority in God-pleasing lives. What we have freely received, we freely give. Because the authority rests in this. The name of Jesus rescues us from everlasting death. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. We stand to sing the final verse of our sermon, Him as our offertory.